0: Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Hugo and I are here at PNT Network. It's on a Saturday afternoon. It's about 3 o'clock Eastern time because of two things. One, the Silicon Valley Bank uh, explosion, scandal, whatever you want to call it. We felt like it was important for us to record something sooner rather than later. This is going to go up on the air Sunday morning. And note, you know, we're probably done talking by 3.30-ish. Things could happen between then and when this goes up on the air. Hopefully someone buys the bank between now and then. That would be great. Um, so if this feels a lot outdated, that's why. Um, second, this is probably in lieu of a podcast on Tuesday. The reason we were originally going to broadcast or record here on Saturday is I'm heading down to Austin tomorrow for South by Southwest to both do a panel on digital health and another one on mobile voting. So that's what we were going to do. Um, obviously, this is such a bigger story that we're both going to focus on this and put it up. Uh, right away. So that's where we are. Um, okay. Hugo, what do you think about all
1: this? Well, I, I just want to hear what you think, obviously. I mean, it, it's the sort of the story that blotted out the sun this week. Um, yeah. Tell me, just walk me through how it sort of landed in your life a little bit and, and how you sort of reacted to the
0: news. Yeah, I mean, right. So on, on the personal level, we started hearing kind of guidance came out. There were significant withdrawals taking place kind of late afternoon on Thursday, I think around 3.30 p.m. or so. And we started working with our portfolio companies who had exposure there, which is a lot of them, right? This is the predominant bank right. for VCs and startups um, to get their money out as quickly as possible. Um, and then things snowballed, as, as they're apt to do in a bank run.
1: Has anything like this ever happened? In, uh, like, obviously not advanced to this point, but where you've heard something like this and had I to mean, react to it? 2008,
0: there were versions of it, but but this is a little different because those were really more really big banks whose investment portfolios failed completely and therefore the whole thing went down as opposed to a bank that is largely depositor-based. Right. Um, The
1: depositors were actually kind of the the safety net before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we were the ones that that provide the money. That's true of every bank, for them to then go out and invest it and try to make a profit um, and also allows them to then issue debt and things like that for for other people who need it. But... um, You know, you definitely, from a mindset standpoint, if I invest in a company and the company goes to zero, something goes wrong, whatever it is, that's on me, right? I made a bad decision. I'm an adult. I understand that when I invest, my money's at risk. uh, Just like I'm more than happy to take the gains when it goes up, I've got to, you know, be an adult about it and take the loss when they go down. Mm -hmm. Being a depositor is different, right? Because we're supposed to put the money somewhere, right? We can't put all this money under our mattress, right? So like, and the entire economic system revolves around being able to place your deposits somewhere safely and securely so that money could then be reintroduced into the capital system, right? If we all put under our mattresses, it'd be so much less money circulating in the economy because, you know, it gets reused. Um, But of course, it has to still be available to the depositor if they want to take their money back. And that kind of leads into what happened here. And this is, look, there's still a lot of speculation and... I'm sure everyone listening to this has already heard 30 different versions of it, but well, but- maybe
1: not. So, so just walk us through the Thursday night, if you if you if you're willing, and, and talk yeah. to us about how the when you realize, oh, this is like not just like a rumor, or like something to worry about, but something that requires us to. Really- I mean, I think
0: there was that point Thursday night where Jordan and I realized that you know even if in reality everyone just calmed down, there probably, there wouldn't be a bank run or a problem in the first place. There's a tipping point, and that tipping point is like fuck it, I, I got to put my money out because, right. you know, everyone else is, and I can't be the last one left holding the bag. Right. Um, and when you are rationally doing that, knowing that you're effectively perpetuating a bank run, um, that's a pretty key moment. And then that, I think, you know, Thursday night, Jordan and I reached that conclusion. Now, look, there were, God knows, I a couple hundred thousand wires that have to be processed out of SPV Friday morning. So, And then the FDIC shut them down by about noon New York Times, um, So most of those wires did not get out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a mix of things that led to this, some of which make sense and some of which uh, are facets of society in the way that we have changed. I think we have to think about how to address them going forward. So the first thing is um, interest rates have gone way up because the Fed has been trying to combat and bring down inflation, right? So if you make things more... Expensive, then there's less purchasing of it, and then that reduces uh, ultimately the the pricing. Um, However, when you did that, um, one, if I'm a depositor and I'm not seeing any of that, right? So I'm getting nothing or a quarter of a basis, you know, a quarter of a point. On my money, and all of a sudden it's at 4.75 elsewhere, right? You have people saying, "Okay, well, I'm going to pull my money out of SVB or whatever to put it into something that would take advantage of the current situation." So you had more people withdrawing just because of the dis- the disparity between the long term rate um, and where uh, things had been. Or sorry, between between the immediate interest rate and where banks were paying out to mm-hmm. depositors, right? Right. Then number two, Silicon Valley Bank specifically. Had invested, it looks like, a tremendous amount of money in treasuries, which, you know, from a liquidity perspective, kind of makes sense. But you can't sell out of them all in like one minute, and um, all of a sudden, the value of those treasuries plummeted because, you know, now yeah, that's what the inverted yield curve is about, right? So now, if the long-term, if if you're going to get four point seven five percent and you got treasuries paying you 1% or half a percent or whatever it is, um, that's a lot less valuable. So they both are seeing more money coming out because of the higher rates and then the value of their assets going down, right? So now you're sort of starting to get to a precarious situation. Um, third would then be word of this starts to get out, and Silicon Valley Bank, and this is where they made a fatal flaw, decides, okay, we're going to try to shore up capital, so we're going to do a raise, uh, $500 million from General Atlantic, or— That was right.
1: That was the first one, yeah.
0: Yeah, and Goldman was trying to do a raise and everything else. That all got out, and instead of just messaging it well and transparently of like, here's where we are, here's what we have, here's what we don't think there's a problem— Instead, they just try to bullshit their way through. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Nobody believes everything's fine. So the automatic reaction to that was they're lying. Well, it must be much worse. It must be much worse. So people start withdrawing their money. And then, as we discussed, once you hit a certain inflection point, everybody starts withdrawing their money because you, you would be stupid to leave it in there. Um, so the bank shuts down tr- uh, trading and uh, taken over by the FDIC. Um, and now the question becomes, one, what happens to the bank and its depositors? Two, if there's not a solution that works for the market, what happens to ten other regional or specialty banks um, that are in a similar situation, right? So, you know, part of the reason why SVB was in this moment is their customers are not regular people, right? Their customers are venture capitalists and startups, by and large. Something like, I think, like two and a half percent of their depositors had less than the 250 grand right. FDIC insured, you know, in there. Um, so if you have lots and lots and lots and lots of individuals, you can kind of stem the timing of a bank run maybe a little bit, right? You can't really do that when all of a sudden it's concentrated into far fewer portfolios. Can, can uh, I ask you yeah. one question
1: just in, Is there not a way to insure your money at a bank outside the bank? So if you're above the FDIC limit, you can go to another insurer. So a good
0: question. I haven't heard of that.
1: I didn't see anybody refer to it either.
0: I guess the reason why insurers wouldn't do it is because it would only come into play in a panic, and so much money gets wiped out in a panic <laughs> That's a good that point, you right? lose a lot more than you would gain in the premiums. Yeah, yeah um, that makes sense. So where are we right now? Um, we know that... Different banks are looking at acquiring Silicon Valley Bank. Um, we have been hearing rumors all day that on Monday, 50% of deposits will be returned mm-hmm. to the depositors. Um, and then, you know, I think the Fed's going to have to say whether they're going to backstop this or not. You know, Just on some calls I was making with people who are kind of in, in the regulatory part of this on the way over here, um, there seems to be a clear distinction in people's minds between investors and depositors, right? Investors, you took the risk. Depositors, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So therefore, there's not a moral hazard that the Fed would say, "Well, we can't bail these guys out because all it does is then to encourage future bad behavior." Depositors didn't behave badly at right. all. We literally were just following the rules. Right. So, um, so I think that there is a shot that all the money is eventually recouped. So then the question becomes, over out, what period out, of out, time, time right? Long, because right. that's really important. Like for me. Because you can, you have a 10-year investment period for a venture fund, if I have to wait a year to get some of the money back, like, I can amortize it and kind of move shit around and make it work, right? It's not going to have a material impact on our performance. But if you're one of our portfolio companies or any portfolio company, and luckily, we don't have many in this situation, but a lot of people do, where you got make payroll, and all of a sudden, the cash isn't there. That's how your business closes down, right? right? And so, so well, then
1: you have these hedge funds right out there offering sixty cents on the dollar for immediate payout of their deposits, right? So there is yeah. there are some options, although that's pretty grim. yeah,
0: but those are pretty grim. No, I think there will also be banks that will just lend if if the F, if the Fed say we will definitely reimburse up to a hundred percent of deposits, then I assume lending products come out against that. So if you're a startup and you can show the deposit slip saying, I have $20 million sitting in Silicon Valley Bank, you based get a on what Chairman loan. Powell said, <laughs> right. you can get a reasonable, yeah, not a loan sharking loan, right, right um, to do that. So, you know, that's sort of the best case scenario here. Um, but we will see, and I will say, if, if, the, if this doesn't get resolved, a run on other banks, especially First Republic Bank, which is sort of the second biggest kind of venture capital tech startup Bank uh, is very likely. FRB shares have been plunging already, Um, and then generally speaking, regional banks uh, are much more susceptible to this because you know they have fewer customers and it's concentrated, right? So um, that's where we are at the moment, right? So, the question is, you know, what are the different? Who does this impact and why, right?
1: Well, that's a question I have. Is like you can see the front line, the, the the smaller startups. That are you know maybe like trying to save cash already and and you know it's been a turbulent period. Obviously, we've discussed uh, a lot on this podcast, so they're in the, the the real crosshairs. But are some of the bigger players at risk here? Do you see? Or- I mean,
0: look, you know, uh, there are entities that have had billions of dollars on deposit at SVB, and if you're not going to get that back, then yeah, that that's probably lights out for you. Um, you know, there's let's just say you're a VC. There's probably four different areas of potential pain right so one would be money that is in your investment fund itself that's allocated to go to the next investment one good thing about being vc in this situation is um so our third fund was 140 million dollars we don't have 140 million dollars seeing an account venture capital funds are what's called drawdown funds so basically i'll show capital call saying okay hugo you know i'm gonna make $10 million of investments in this quarter or whatever it is or in these two deals and then you pay it as it happens the reason why does
1: everybody do it that way is it like
0: yeah that's how VC works the reason why an SVB was useful to the industry is you know cash flow is lumpy right and like every person is not going to pay their capital call at the same exact moment and some people don't meet the deadlines and everything else so what SVB does is say okay you know here's $7 million to write your investment check you're effectively borrowing the money from us you'll pay us back with interest on a short-term basis, and then in two weeks when all the money comes in for the capital calls. Oh, so
1: that's one the, of their main functions. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny I didn't see that well explained
0: anywhere. The long um, repaid. I mean, that's one of the reasons why VCs use them is they can smooth things out for us. Um, but also, there are people who said, "Okay, I've got you know they just did a capital call, or I've got a deal teed up, and I need to have cash there. So they got a one so account. Right? So that gets so one is you have VCs who whose LP money was sitting in deposits that if it's not recovered that money is gone, that means that, at best case, the performance of those funds goes down. The MOIC, the IRR, all the returns, likely the DPI, goes down with it. um, And so that's bad for performance, and some funds won't survive that long-term, meaning they won't be able to raise a subsequent fund if it has too much of a material impact on their performance. Number two would be every venture capital fund also has a management company, which is what pays Everyone's salaries, right? So VCs get a management fee, typically two percent. So if you have a two hundred million dollar fund, you know you're getting four million dollars a year uh, in fees, and you use that to pay salaries and rent and healthcare and whatever else. Um, if you had your management fee money in SVB, you have to make payroll. Like, fucking thank God for us. We happened to have done payroll on Friday morning, and it went through at SVB. So. You know, we didn't face this immediate crunch of like, holy shit, what are we going to do? Or the the money is inaccessible and we got to pay people. Um, But if the money doesn't become available pretty soon, that's going to become an issue. Now, for us, it's not a huge amount of money. I am fortunate that I'm in a personal situation where I can bridge the gap. Um, so that's not going. We're not going to have a problem around this, but you know, uh, only because uh, I have the you know position of privilege to do that. So that's number two. Number three would be your portfolio companies, right? And how many of them have their money at SVB? How much did they get out? What's their monthly burn? You know, if if you're a company with twenty five million dollars at SVB and you only got five million out, and your monthly burn is a million and a half a month, basically you got three months of runway you can't—usually, if you only have three months on one right left, you wind the business down, right? But in this case, these aren't businesses that should be closing. They're just businesses that happen to have their deposits at SVB. So um, making sure that they can stay in business is really, really important. And the fourth would be, for your portfolio company, sort of problem area number one would be, did their money get stuck at SVB? But number two would be, what about their vendors? What about their customers? Right. So, what happens if you know their biggest customer can't pay you all the money they owe you because their money's at SVP? Right. So, there's lots of secondary and tertiary effects here that I think us and every other VC are kind of looking through for their portfolio companies to figure out uh, where the where the risk lies.
1: This, this may be kind of a naive question, but is there is there some way that the like so it, it, I guess some people have characterized this as as uh, Uh, A kind of herd mentality in the venture business, like a a rumor starting, fears, and it it really starts to become an emergency where it didn't necessarily need to be, and that some of the sort of instincts of the venture business were sort of operated against its own interest in a sense. Well,
0: for sure. I mean, look, this is what happens. Look, a bank run by definition is rumors get out there, people believe them, people panic, they start taking their money out, other people say Well, I I have to take mine out, but it can't be the last one. Then there's a run, and the bank doesn't have enough liquidity to meet everyone's demands, and that's when it gets shut down, right? So here, now in an age of... even in 2008, social media was still very, very, very nascent, right? So this is the first time where you've had as robust of a world of social media that we do have combined with uh, a bank run, right? And so when you think about the potential policy changes that need to happen, there are a few that we do. Can I ask you yeah, one yeah, question for sure. it? I want to get
1: to the policy because yeah. that's a big part of it. But just because that was the question I was going to ask on the other side of it. So is there a way that the venture industry can come together to do something about this? Or is it kind of larger than that at this point with, like, the FDIC and the Federal Reserve yeah, and what have you?
0: that's why things like the FDIC exist, right? right? And honestly, even the really big, the biggest venture capital funds, if, if all they do is venture, like, $20 billion, which sounds like a lot, but it's very no, right, small. compared to the size right. of the bank, right? Yeah. So ultimately, no, you're going to need the—and look, venture capital funds don't need to be that big, because you're investing in new companies, right. and you're not writing checks for $10 billion. You're writing checks for $10 million or $1 million or whatever it is. Um, so I don't see how there's sort of an industry solution, solution to this, this. Right. Um I think the industry can work with the Feds to try to like make it as painless as possible. But there's also not like there's something called the, the NVCA, the National Cap, Cap Venture Capital Association, and I guess to a certain extent they can speak on behalf of the community. But it's not like we have an election every year, and these five VCs are you know like our panel to the right. to the Feds, right? <laughs> so like I would imagine that you know people who are running. You know, Sequoia and NEA are talking to the, the Fed about it, but um, right, but I don't know.
1: So, so the, you were before I stopped you. You were about to start talk about some of the policy well, so implications. There's, there's and things two. That there's two, two
0: buckets, right? Okay. The the first bucket would be things that are just regulatory changes that were made that were bad, or regulatory changes that should be made to prevent this from happening again. So the the first one and there's some debate about this just based on different experts that I've talked to is, so if, if you're a really big bank, you have to undergo what's called a stress test from the feds, which basically says, you know, how, what's your debt-to-asset ratio um, and how quickly can you raise capital if you need to so that if there is a run, you're able to meet the demands or if the market collapses or whatever it is. It used to be for anyone with over $50 billion in assets, that was the requirement. Trump raised it to $250 billion. SVB just had 175, so it went from being subject to a stress test to not being subject to a stress test. Some people have told me that, you know, had that been in existence, they might have been able to catch it and stop it. Others have said to me, look, stress test doesn't measure for what this issue was, um, so it's not really going to uh, make a difference. Sentiment
1: was a huge, huge, a huge thing. Yeah, right. we'll get to that in a second, that's yeah, number okay. one.
0: Number two would be, apparently, if you hold long-term treasuries, you don't have to mark-to-market. So, right, hold to
1: maturity, right. Right. So,
0: so mark-to-market means, normally speaking, if you have public equities, you have to say, you know, if, if you want to say, my, my portfolio is worth $100 million, the value of all the equities has to add up to $100 million on that day, right? It can't just be like, oh, it was this once, or we think it might be this in a year. <laughs> right. um, it's what it has to be. However, there's an exception for long-term treasuries that I wasn't even aware of till today. And as a result, you can look stronger than you actually are, right? So let's say you had $100 billion in long-term treasuries. The value might have fallen, let's say to $80 billion. You're showing $100 billion on the your books. The tradable value
1: of those Correct. Of those and so trade. as a result,
0: you're um, not as strong as you think. So uh, maybe not allowing it to be marked, maybe requiring mark-to-market made sense or some, some compromise within that um, that, again, would not create these sort of false impressions. But the other bucket, and look, this is harder to do, but this is more typical of this podcast, quite frankly, is all of this was called caused by a combination of traditional factors that lead to bank runs, right? Lack of liquidity, big changes in interest rates, depositor behavior, all of that maybe, fine. Maybe some poor management moves. But terrible management by SPV. That's you know, it's, it's right, Sorry, I haven't attacked them yet. Um, <laughs> they messaged this thing terribly, right? So when it came out that they were seeking more capital, I did say this before, they, they they spoke about it in ways that were so disingenuous and unpersuasive. I remember seeing the deck on Thursday and saying to my team, like, this is the worst fucking mess internal comp I've ever seen, right? Um, and so... Poor messaging by SVB for sure. But the other thing, of course, as we're talking about, was social media and sort of the ecosystem now moves at warp speed. And so things that maybe before have taken a little longer, and so someone like the Fed could have stepped in, restored some order, and potentially prevented something from happening, um, they don't have that ability to do so um, in the world that we live in. So here's, and I've literally thought about this for the entirety of the walk from my apartment to the bookstore, so it's not like this is particularly well thought out, but... Um, maybe in the same way that a stock stops trading when there's a certain amount of volatility that it exceeds, right? And they say, OK, we are halting trading on the stock. It's too crazy. Um, maybe there's a social media index for that too, right? Or maybe it is if there's enough tweets or retweets or posts or whatever it is indicating something like, you know, a severe lack of liquidity shortage. Um, then you suspend trading on the bank, or maybe you suspend posts on social media around that. I'm sure there are some First Amendment concerns about that. But we don't index for public sentiment. And in the old days, that was OK, because public sentiment didn't move that fast. Now public okay. sentiment moves much faster than a company can, much faster than, than government does. Um, and as a result, I wonder if there are Triggers that people smarter than me can figure out, where if there's this much activity about bank liquidity uh, on these platforms, you know something has to happen. Trading on the bank has to stop. Uh, you know the. Well, the it would be fascinating to go back
1: and look at what sort of metrics, you know, do exist uh, measuring volatility and stuff like that, and how far back those might have indicated a problem here. Um, it, it's it's a good it's it's certainly a good area to look into.
0: Yeah, and whether it look. I I don't know that anyone will do this or not. I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, government's typically not going to think about this kind of thing because it's a little too out of the box. But, you know, uh, hopefully some people who really do understand volatility and understand social media metrics can look into this and say, this was the moment where, had this produced the warning sign and the red flag at Treasury, at the Fed, some of this could have been averted— But, of course, Treasury's not tracking retweets and shit like that, right? So, you know, this would be an entirely new area. But look, and not unlike, you know, whenever all the GameStop and AMC and all that stupid shit was happening with Robinhood, same thing, right? All of a sudden, and crypto arguably is a version of this too, which is social media now drives a company's fate up or down, sometimes completely independent of the economics of the company itself, right? Um, And so... I think this has to be considered. Um, I understand that I spend a lot of time on this podcast usually talking about regulations that are even more basic, like privacy and antitrust and liability. (laughs) This is pretty Um, sophisticated stuff. Yeah, that we don't have, so this is sort of next, next level. But at the same time, this caused a lot of pain very quickly. Perhaps there's a solution that mitigates the pain, but there's also a distinct possibility that in three or four days, five more banks are gone. Right? And if the Fed doesn't handle this properly, that's the risk that they face.
1: Can you talk at all about what your expectations are for this week? Like, when you wake up
0: Monday morning, do you, do you have an yeah. idea? I mean, I, I know so you I think, have what look, you want before to Before the market opens, I, I can't imagine a world where the market opens Monday morning and we're where we are something. right now. Right. right? Someone has acquired it. The feds have talked, they've announced that we're going to make all the depositors whole. And again, no one is saying they should make the investors whole, and I agree with that completely. And even I'm not an investor in SCP, but even if I was, I would say, okay, I'll I'll take my medicine. Um, Something like that. In a perfect world, there's both an acquisition of either the bank or its assets. And by the way, the assets aren't necessarily bad assets, right? They just hit this disparity where they weren't enough... To cover all of the demands for liquidity in a bank panic itself, um, so either an acquisition where we know everyone's been made whole, the Fed saying whatever happens, all the deposits are made whole. If that happens, I think everyone calms down. Um, you know, I don't know how bank stocks perform on Monday, but either way, I, I don't think you're going to have other banks feel a run on deposits and go out of business. But if somehow we wake up Monday morning and nothing has gotten done by the end of Monday, you could see multiple banks out of business. And then once that happens, it cascades. So right now, the chases, the cities, they're pretty insulated from this because they're much bigger and they're much more consumer-based for deposits and everything else. But all these things kind of have a viral effect, and so what might start off in one niche sector like venture capital um, could infect the entire economy. Well, you
1: remember, I remember from uh, from the 2008 financial crisis, I I did a story on David Einhorn, and he talked about the sort of the uh, the the butterfly flapping its wings. For them, was a a French bank, I think, in 2007. um, uh, that uh, that it uh, didn't go bankrupt, but they they were unable to meet their obligations in some way and right from that moment on he was like we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> well but he shorted it and made money, didn't he? He did. Well he shorted Lehman famously. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. Um, uh, well Bradley, uh, we should probably be checking back on this this week and it kind yeah. of, it's it's gonna cast a little bit of a pall over South by Southwest, I suspect.
0: Yeah. So, I kinda <laughs> thought about not going <laughs> and then I just kinda of realized that A, that would be unfair to the panels that I'm speaking on, not that the People in Austin are in great demand, but at least the people who put the panels together, the other panelists, all of that, for me to ditch when I actually have to seemed unfair. And two, uh, look, I have to physically be somewhere while we're dealing with this, right? So whether I'm in job, my hotel right? room in Austin or in the office on 20th Street, it's kind of the same thing. Well, you, so you did a oh, you God. did a
1: very good job explaining it, and 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 uh, I appreciate that a lot. I'm sure the listeners do too. So all right, we'll uh, stay tuned for more. Yep.
0: All right, thanks you. Bye.